Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. Pete Krebs is a musical chameleon. It was the 1990s when his career began in the band Hazel, which was a very popular alternative rock and roll group on sub-pop records. In those days, Krebs even formed a friendship and musical partnership with indie rock hero and legend Elliot Smith. Yes, I've been trying to track down their split single for many years, but that's another story. Krebs has also been inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. Since then, Krebs has continued experimenting and expanding his musical palette. Catching one of his shows or listening to one of his records might find one encountering western swing or jazz or country or maybe just straight up no-holds-barred rock and roll. While some musicians work hard to stay in their lane, Krebs enjoys grabbing his guitar and exploring wherever his ears might lead him. Krebs' latest album, with his band The Gossamer Wings, is titled All My Friends Are Ghosts, and one might say the record is a sort of amalgam of the many styles and sounds that Krebs can make with his voice and some steel strings in his hand. It's an excellent recording and it deftly showcases his compositional skills. Krebs isn't through exploring yet. As you'll hear in the following conversation, he's still searching out unique sounds to play on his stereo. When he'll try to figure out how to make those sounds himself is anyone's guess. But you can be sure he's thinking about it. Pete Krebs, it's uh, it's really a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure to, quote, meet you here. And uh, we've got your uh, your album here. Yeah. You and the Gossamer Wings. And uh, what a cool... By the way, let's just start with this cool album cover. Tell me about this. It's Sean... Who Who is the artist here? Sean... John Krogan. Uh, yeah, Pete. what's the story here? It's beautiful. Well, Sean is uh, an old school Portland musician uh, and uh, painter, and obviously he does kind of you know more abstract looking stuff. And uh, yeah, he's he and I've been friends for probably thirty years, and and uh, uh, he's kind of a local Portland music legend, and so I, I I thought that he would be a perfect choice to to paint some kind of crazy album cover and that's what i got and yeah. older, the original is actually like this is a huge painting this is like you know five by five like it takes up right. a whole wall in my house it's a big piece <laughs> yeah oh, well it's cool it reminds me of kind of a uh elvis costello sort of thing i could see him using something like this on one of his pieces in the uh, the 80s absolutely absolutely but definitely a great record. It sounds terrific. Uh, the This copy that I have sounds great. I was uh, cranking it just this morning, getting ready to talk to you. And um, it sounds great loud, which is what, what we want. Yeah, so back to vinyl. Cavity Search, I guess, will be reissuing uh, I Know It By Heart on vinyl mm-hmm. early next year. And with that reissue, all of your albums will be available on vinyl. Yes, which is really great because originally, of course, they weren't released on vinyl. You know, I mean, I did a few 45s, but beyond that, everything was released on, on CD. So it's it's really cool to hear this stuff on vinyl because it sounds so much better <laughs> to me, to my ears. You know, it's like it's like new. Yeah, it's got a different kind of a thing. Do you um, do you have any of your stuff from the early 90s? Uh, you know, the 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 uh, at, the at the time, I guess there was 
Well, really, in that that time frame, there were some things coming out on vinyl. Of course, you have your uh, double sided single there with uh, Elliot Smith. But do you have a lot of stuff from back in those days? Yeah, a lot of you know uh, the band I was in, Hazel, did a lot of forty fives and you know kind of one offs and and whatnot. And yeah, you know somewhere around here, I don't know. I think it might be downstairs, but I got a you know a stack of forty fives about like that, you know, from Portland, and about half of them. Uh, uh, you know, or things that I did myself or with a band or one of the other bands that I was playing with. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's still, they're still sticking around. They're still kicking around my house. I, st- I have this too. This was, uh, uh, this is, an, this is from the, this is from 99, but I guess they reissued it just a few years ago, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, and that's actually kind of my favorite solo record out oh. of all the ones that I did for some reason I just I just like the little the little punky EP that I that I made you know I just like the way it sounds I like the tunes uh, yeah and recorded by Larry Crane he's that guy in from that magazine that we always see tape off yep that's him. another another Portland luminary Portland yes um, so cool let's talk about the title track uh, all my friends are ghosts I've listened to it and uh, it's a uh, boy that's a hooky tune I think it's trapped in my psyche for some time but uh, you know I'm trying to I'm having a little trouble wrapping my head around uh, what's going on there you're a gunman you're in a tower you've got ghosts there in a bar across the street what's going on there well admittedly there's some stream of consciousness stuff going on there I mean it, it was sort of when I wrote it kind of a cobbling together of a couple different tunes but yeah it's just you know a tune that kind of developed over a long period of time and so I have trouble finding a linear narrative that runs through it but essentially you know what the what the chorus is about is uh, you know, change. It's like, you know, like a lot of us that have been in a place for a long enough period of time, especially in the music business, it's like, you know, people kind of start disappearing when you get into your 40s. Um, you know, I'll be 55 in August. So it's, uh, it's kind of about that. It's sort of, you know, the chorus is about definitely about Portland. And then, I don't know, the verses, I just kind of like the words. I, you know, they were, you know, a little bit of political commentary, you know, about uh, George Bush, um, the younger, you know, that's in the second verse. I, w- I wish I could say that there was some, like, deeper meaning, but, but really I just kind of like the sound of the two things together, so I just smashed them. Well, that's good. I'm glad I'm not missing anything. Uh, I thought it was me, Pete. I thought it was. <laughs> I mean, I could make up some for you, but you know. <laughs> um, so, how do you characterize your sound? You know, there's you've got a little rockabilly going on. You've got uh, a country twang, and you got some more modern moments. And you know, you're you've been in many bands. You're, you're in many bands now: the Portland Playboys, the Pete Krebs Trio, the Three Catnip Brothers, and you've always explored a lot of different genres. Are the Gossamer Wings like an amalgam of all? those styles it kind of feels like all of your styles happen on this on this album in some way yeah you know uh i have so many different influences and and i think it's either an achilles heel or a strength but i always want to play the styles that i'm into and and you know so i build a little band around this idea this crazy idea and then i talk some bar and they'll let me play there every thursday you know and that's how like like that's how I get that's how I get to explore the stuff that's interesting to me. Um, but usually, you know, the the Gossamer Wings band on a particular album is comprised of musicians that I'm playing with at that time. And so a lot of the the more 
I don't know, rockabilly or, or, or country sounding influences you're hearing is just because, you know, I kind of did a deep dive into 40s and 50s country music. And, you know, I just invited those guys onto the record this time. There's a few, you know, people uh, like Paul Brainerd and Michael Jodell that were on earlier stuff, but they're really great crossover musicians. And so I don't know. I mean, you know, I love really catchy 60s pop music and, and garage rock and punk rock and and country music and you know the texas tornadoes tejano kind of stuff you know and i also love a really well-written song i love elvis costello and you know i i think it would drive me crazy to try to corral you know all the tunes for a record into a, a particular style and try to give it you know sort of like cook up some sort of cohesive um you know sound for the record i just you know just kind of trust that it's going to happen organically so it doesn't really matter if you put a country tune and a pop tune and a jazz tune on the same album right and uh and i think that's great you know i i love eclectic music i've got all kinds of stuff over here and it it's one thing to play covers and sort of emulate those different styles uh that you do but it's really another thing for you to sit down and arrange and produce it from all these different musicals perspectives how do you think about that in a writing sense is it just like you sit down one day and you just kind of well i feel like doing a uh you know a like you know whatever today what how does it kind of or do you sit down and say you know i really am working on this particular project or something i'm a strong believer in the subconscious when it comes to music and learning music and so you know the stuff that comes out is isn't really ever planned. I think that, that what it is is it's just like listening to so much music from a given style. Eventually, you absorb uh, some of the more subconscious information about it, like like the rhythm and and uh, uh, you know the texture of the music. And I think that that's what's coming out. You know, I I don't really feel comfortable you know writing in a style that i haven't listened pretty deeply in you know what i mean um and yeah it just you know i i talk to you know i teach music and um you know one of the things that i talk a lot about probably too much to my students is the importance of having the radio on 24 hours a day like listening to you know listening to a style that you're trying to learn because I, I just think that you like absorb so much more information from that level than you know like conscious like okay i'm going to sit down and i'm going to write a tune that sounds like george jones or you know Django reinhardt or whomever you know so that's really where that comes from it's, it's just you know songs to me have a certain direction that they want to go in and my job as a songwriter is just to get out of the way and let them go there looking through the photo gallery on your website i was struck by all the different setups you've got and of course you've got an excellent guitar collection and i was trying to sort of imagine what each different gig would sound like and they all seemingly sounded different in my imagination and what kinds of things can people expect when they're going to see pete krebs on a stage somewhere and obviously nobody's seen you anywhere right now uh because of uh covid and everything but things will come back and what what can people expect well you know i when you know we're not in the middle of a pandemic i'm usually playing three or four times a week around the portland area right and so um, you know, sometimes that sounds like a couple of guitars and a bass playing, uh, you know, maybe f- late 40s, early 50s jazz, you know, cocktail jazz with vocals. And then sometimes um, it'll sound like, I don't know, like a 
40s California Western swing music. And then, you know, on the rare occasions that I do play a Gossamer Wing show, you know, hopefully it's like a cross between, I don't know, Elvis Costello from back in the day and, and uh, you know, little Buck Owens and the Buckaroos or something like that, you know. So I am really influenced by a lot of Roots music, and that, I think, probably is the thread that runs through everything that I play. Cottonwood, to me, is really an outstanding tune. Can you tell us a little bit about that track? Yeah, well, that one is uh, about the Columbia River, which is, I can see from the second floor of my house. Yeah, it's about the Columbia River. It's about um, being in a relationship with someone and and you know that it's doomed and, and you're going to have to, you know, cut yourself loose. And, um, you know, kind of that realization. And I, I don't know, I, I mean, in the summertime when I wrote it, you can smell the river from here and the river smells really sweet. It smells like cottonwood trees. And um, if the wind is just right, you know, it's the most lovely smell. And I think, you know, when I was writing the tune, when I was kind of meditating on this subject, uh, that's what I was experiencing when I was writing it on my front porch. So that's what that's how that came around. Uh, Sound and Fury is another one of my favorites on the album. What's that little uh, you got a little audio snippet in the beginning there? Oh, uh, God, I don't I don't remember what that is. I, you know, I, I always like to have um, weird, weird stuff from the studio somewhere on a record. And I, I, I've done that on a few other albums, you know, where it's just like a little snip where it's like, you know, the engineer just happened to catch me, you know, saying some dumb thing on the mic. And I, I don't know. I just always try to throw something like that in. So that's really what that is. Well, it sounded very profound, Pete, you know. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is an old recording of his grandfather that he's had since 1975, and he's finally putting it on this. That's what I thought the story was going to be, Pete. Yeah, I wish I could. I, yeah, once again, I'm disappointing you, man. I, <laughs> it was honestly just sort of probably the thing that I talked the engineer into doing at the last minute. It's like, oh, that sounds pretty funny. Let's put that on there, you know. So. So he did. Tell me a little bit about the process of recording the album. Uh, as I said, you seem to have a great guitar collection. You've got a good ear for a vintage sound and uh, catching things uh, naturally and authentically. It sounds like. How did you? How did you sort of craft the sonic footprint of this record? Well, we recorded about a mile from here at my friend John Newfelt's house in his living room, basically, and then we did the vocals upstairs in a closet. Tubes, lots of tubes uh, were involved in the making of this album. And, you know, everybody that I work with, all the musicians have, are, you know, they have a really good musical ear for, you know, the tone of their instruments and, and just getting a nice, warm, sort of older, older sound. So I always encourage that, you know, you know, I, I'd love to make a record that that could have come out in 1965, you know, just in terms of like the sonic quality of the of the instruments themselves. So yeah, I, I just, I think that that, you know, my instructions to, to John or my input, I should say, was just that, um, you know, just make it as warm as humanly possible and we'll you know we'll give you some good stuff to work with and i i think that he he succeeded in that well i would agree and i love the pictures of your uh your beautiful j200 i have a i have a recent j200 but that one looks like it's uh 500 years old how what's the story with that j200 you have it's actually a 70s j, uh, j200 that's been played to death um yeah that's a really good guitar there's uh 
There's some pretty uh, the the acoustic actually on this record was a small bodied guitar uh, made by a guy here in Portland called Bob Steiniger and Bob's in his 80s now I think and and he is kind of like this legendary guitar builder and he made guitars for the Everly Brothers and Paul McCartney and stuff like that but he would make like five a year you know is one of those guys and was real crotchety and you know um, I managed to get a hold of this little teeny kind of parlor size one and that's all the acoustic guitar that you're hearing on that it was just pretty phenomenal sounding instrument it's made right sometimes you don't need all that size right you can just uh, a, a little an expertly built small guitar can blow away a, a big old jumbo i would agree yeah but the jumbo is really nice uh on live gigs because it just has that punch you know i can i can hit that thing as hard as uh as i want and, and it and it just responds and you look cool and you look cool with it which is you know half the battle <laughs> that's why i got into the music business man <laughs> i'm not going to ask you about your musical influences because it's obvious you've uh, got a little bit of love for everything but is there anything you're currently listening to right now anything that's really um, got your attention at the at the current moment yeah well i'll tell you um you know i still buy cds too you know just because there's a lot of really great reissues that you can get really cheap you know you get a lot of really great music so i'll tell you the last three cds that i bought i usually buy a few every week i bought the first volume in a, a collection by a french label called Fremo. i think i'm pronouncing that correctly um but it is the into uh it's basically like a like a Charlie Parker retrospective. So this is the first one. So it's all the stuff that he did. I don't know, probably going back to 39 or something like that. So I bought that. I bought uh, a compilation of 50s black gospel music. And I bought this CD called Sacred Steel that came out in the 90s. And it's, it's out of Florida. It's like these black churches that, that use um, lap steel as a... A melody instrument for for sacred service and uh, yeah so i'm kind of like going going sort of in that direction a little bit you know just listening to to stuff like that and do you ever uh you know do you ever revisit the uh, the early 90s and listen to the more alternative stuff i mean you you seem to have uh, progressed and grown so much since then but do you ever uh, you ever look in the rearview mirror Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I, I listened to records that I bought in California, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I, I started buying punk rock records in about 77 or so. And so a lot of those records are near and dear to my heart. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the early punk stuff, you know, the big ones, you know, the clash and, and, um, that first sex pistols record and California stuff, you know, for me, the Blasters and X and the Germs and bands like that. Um, and then getting into the 90s, you know, I was a big Husker Du fan, you know. Uh, I, I basically wanted to write songs like Grant Hart, you know. I, I thought that his stuff was, you know, no offense to Bob, but I, I'm kind of a Grant guy when it comes to the Husker stuff and um, the replacements. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, there's so much that I missed from back then, too. And just going back and, you know, hearing hearing the variety of music that came out late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's like, you know, how, how did I miss this? <laughs> you know, um, there's so much quality, amazing songwriting and, and uh, bands with very unique sounds. 
Yeah. So I, I go backwards a lot when it comes to at least like more rock and roll stuff. I don't listen to a lot of modern stuff. Hey, you need a couple of lifetimes to listen to all the good stuff in this uh, in this uh, existence for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Internet has only made it really worse. Right. I mean, I'm always, uh, as you said, if, if I think back to the stuff I should. have, Why wasn't I listening to this when I was in high school? Why, why, why was I wasting my time on the other stuff? But you just didn't have access to it, you know? No, it was, and I and I really liked that about it. I liked Hunt and Peck, you know. I like you know stumbling across like that's how I discovered television. Was I read a review in Maximum Rock and Roll, and I wrote a letter to Roar Records in New York, and they sent me a cassette called The Blow Up, and like that's how I discovered television. You know, it's like, um, and it was total happenstance. And I, I that that's something that I miss. You know, I don't like having the world at my fingertips the way that it is now. It's true. I, I like that, too. I, I like the serendipitous nature of kind of stumbling on stuff in uh, record stores or not even record stores, even like thrift stores and, you know, stuff like that. You just that's the fun stuff to when you really made a discovery yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that explains why a lot of those bands had their sound, you know, the sound that they did. Um, I found your uh, Mercy Mild EP, and I just wanted to let you know I'm really excited because I'm going to be playing it on shows in December. So I'm ready for December. I'm ready for the holidays 2021. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. You know, what's what's funny is that's actually my country band or my Western swing band playing Christmas music. And, and uh, yeah, that, I really like the way that that one turned out as well. Oh, it sounds great. I was listening to it and then I had to stop because it's, you know, it's uh, April. So it's Easter and spring. And it just felt it felt all wrong, Pete. But uh, it's going to feel great in a few more months. Well, I had good good King Wenceslas stuck in my head yesterday. I think that's how it's probably, it's the most horrible thing ever because I'm like working out in the yard and it's seventy degrees out, you know, and I've got good King Wenceslas going through my head. Hey, that was tough. That was a tough one. <laughs> so, what's next? What's next for uh, Pete Krebs and his uh, his genre bending eclectic musical future? What uh, what do you see coming down the pike? Well, uh, the two things that I am thinking about are just uh, all you know, a, 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 another solo record that's just me and an acoustic guitar, and just kind of lean real heavy on the songs and see how that goes. And you know, the Catnip Brothers are is sort of my working band right now, and you know, we've been talking a lot about you know trying to make music like uh, the George George Barnes octet you know or like Raymond Scott you know people like that um, and and somehow arrange it for what is essentially a small western swing band so so like taking those instruments and and kind of you know stretching stuff out and then just see how musical we can get with it without boring people half to death and then also you know uh Lately, I've just been playing steel a lot, so I wouldn't mind putting a little band together around that and and see what happens. Yeah, and how's it looking uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, Things are loosening up ever so slightly here, and every time they sort of start to loosen up, they kind of tighten back up again just a little bit. It's like uh, two steps forward, one step back. But what do you you see about the live scene in uh, Portland from your point of view? Well, it's fortunate that we're going into the summer you know, because a lot of venues are really itching to open back up. And, you know, those that have 
a patio or that, you know, we're able to build out a space. I don't know how they're doing it in Jersey, but like here, the restaurants and bars are building into those streets. Like they have these, you know, little structures that they put up in the parking spots in front of their place. And so, you know, we're able to, I don't know, I think I played six gigs last month. I probably got three or four this month. So it's definitely kicking back up, but it's going to be outdoors for a while. I'm I'm one shot into it. I got one more shot to go, and then I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about getting out there. But Oregon did pretty well. I mean, you know, our, that's relatively speaking, but, you know, people, at least in, in Portland, are pretty good about uh, wearing masks and being safe and stuff like that. We don't have a lot of the... We don't have a lot of folks around here that, that don't think that that's the right way to go. And so I think that that's going to have a lot of benefit in terms of opening things back up a little bit more than maybe in, in some other parts of the country. Uh, where can folks find out more about you? You've got the website. The The website address is? Hey Pete Krebs. Hey Pete Krebs. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Hey Pete Krebs. Yeah. It's my it's my wonderfully uh, out of date website. <laughs> that it's on my list, man. I got a list right here. Is update the website, uh, and uh, Cavity Search Records, of course. And uh, you know, those are you know, if you come to Portland, uh, if you come visit, come find me and say hello. I'm usually playing somewhere at some point, you know, every week. And uh, uh, yeah, that's the best way to find me. I also. I'm also yeah. teaching lessons online. You know, uh, that's the other way to reach me, and you can uh, find me at my website. So, you know, you're the kind of guy. I think if you go to any any uh, bar that has some live music in town, you go, "Hey, where can I find Pete Krebs?" They're gonna say, "Oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> pretty much." Come back at 3 yeah, p.m. Pretty much. That's uh, that is a very true statement. <laughs> Well, listen, I really love uh, the new album, and it really does sound great. We'll be playing it here, and you did a terrific job, and I think it comes through, and a great songwriting, and uh, love your voice, and um, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to reach out, and it's been nice talking to you. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.